gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Welcome back to Gone Mobile. In this episode, we're joined by Brent Edwards. How's it going today, Brent? It's going great. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Excited to have you on the show. Yeah. We haven't done a, a game show in, in a long time, I realize. So I think this this one is is long overdue. Um, so yeah, so like we were we were talking about before, I think the 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 driving impetus for this is is a really cool series of blog posts that that you've been putting out lately on on and around Coco Sharp and game development on Xamarin, and and there's all sorts of cool stuff in there to dig into. But but I think uh, a, a nice starting point would actually be the fact that you called out that you're not a game developer by trade. Is that right? That is absolutely right. Um, by, by trade, I am an enterprise software developer and I have, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none kind of guy. Um, mm -hmm. lots of experience, you know, in <clears throat> kind of broad areas. I do web development, desktop development, mobile development, um, more recently getting into the Xamarin space as well. So just kind of, uh, very broad sorts of things and none of it game development by day. So what made you actually want to get into doing this game programming and specifically to do with like mobile games? What What's the big draw there? You know, it's just kind of a fun thing to do. Um, originally back when I, you know, first started in college, it was just kind of a fun thing uh, as I started learning, you know, how to program anything and, you know, whether it was Flash or the web, JavaScript or getting into, um, I think it was even like MFC or something silly like that. Um, you know, as I got into different areas, that was kind of the easy way to kind of test out, you know, that I was, that I knew what I was doing and that, I, you know, as I learned something new, it's like, well, how can I, how can I program something on my own time and figure out if I'm doing it right? And usually some sort of simple game was the, the way to do it. It's just, a, it, it's more fun doing, you know, game development. It's, it's not quite as uh, boring as sometimes the day jobs get to be. And if it, if you come up with a good enough idea, then, you know, it, it can be really interesting just trying to work through and plan it out and develop it and see how far you can take the knowledge that you have and run with it. And that's kind of how I got started. It's, you know, I'm not even a huge gamer by, um, by, you know, or I'm not really a huge gamer on my own time. Um, I do some gaming, um, you know, on the Xbox and some casual gaming on my phone, but it's not something that I do a ton of. So it's not that I'm like driven by, you know, all these ideas that fly around from games that I've played before. It's just kind of a fun thing for me to get into. Right. And so, so it sounds like historically that you, you've kind of used games as a, you know, just kind of a fallback to, to start tinkering and learning with stuff out of curiosity, like what other platforms or like, uh, frameworks or, um, you know, programming languages were you using in the past, uh, for different game development before you got into the mobile side? Yeah, way early on. Um, like I said, like, I think it was back in college or even before I, I made some flash games just trying to figure out how to do silly things. I, I don't even remember what games they were. Um, then there was, I made a, like a Yahtzee game one time, you know, and, uh, that was, I think something with MFC. Once I started getting into how to program with C plus plus and, uh, it was just something fun, but I had no, no real way of, 
kind of sharing that game with anybody. So I basically just play with my, um, you know, wife who at the time, I can't remember if she was girlfriend or fiance, depending on where we were in our relationship, but it was just, you know, whoever happened to be sitting next to me too, we'd play it. And, um, that was about it. And then, uh, there was, there was some JavaScript games that I kind of messed around with too. Uh, didn't really go anywhere. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, the problem with everything that I've done, you know, or everything that I did before getting into mobile is everything I did in the game space was just my own time and stayed with me and didn't go anywhere. I didn't, I didn't share it with anybody. It just was for fun. And once I started kind of seeing the mobile space and seeing what you could do with it and how much you could share and how easy it was to share, you know, especially in the early days, that's when suddenly things change and I, I kind of started realizing, okay, if I, if I make a game now, I can share it and people around the world can download it. You know, getting it in their hands is an entirely different story, but just the mere fact that it's available is pretty darn cool. So you mentioned most recently you're working with Coco Sharp. Um, what made you choose that as a, a platform to do game development on? Uh, so I looked around a little bit and there, there were a number of different options. Uh, you know, I could do, um, you know, native development for the different platforms, which I, I do know native Android. That's something I've been doing for a long time. I do not know native iOS. And so that would have been a hurdle. And I really wanted something that would kind of get me into both, both platforms, um, <clears throat> you know, and even ideally into, into the windows space. Um, though, you know, historically the Android and iOS spaces are much bigger to, to kind of tackle. And so I really was looking for something cross-platform and I started looking at different options. You know, there's, um, Unity is out there. And I, I think from, from my understanding with Unity, it's very good at 3D and okay at 2D. And, um, you know, that, that's not based on my experience at all because I, I never played with it. It's based on what I just kind of found, you know, looking around the internet. And one day I, I happened to bump into Coco Sharp and realized, you know, af having done a little bit of Xamarin development, and this is after Microsoft had bought Xamarin and started to open up the tools a little bit. Um, I bumped into Coco Sharp and realized what it actually was. It's built on the Mono framework. It's open source, and Cocos 2D is the game engine that it's built on, or that it uh, kind of um, rewrites, I guess, if you will, or is an implementation. Um, Coco Sharp is an in implementation of Cocos 2D, and Cocos 2D is is a really well-known game engine. Uh, two-dimensional game engine that's out there. You can get all sorts of different flavors of it. You can have the C++, you can have JavaScript versions. Um, there's just a number of implementations of Cocos 2D and Cocos Sharp is one of them. The bonus is me being, you know, primarily a .NET developer with lots of .NET experience and having done more recently Xamarin work, but, you know, all the while being a fan of C Sharp, it gives me an opportunity to create two-dimensional games in you know the the development languages that I'm familiar with and in kind of the development tools that I'm familiar with and still being able to have that target Android, iOS and Windows. And so you know I started to play around with it and realize that you know it it really is pretty cool. There's there's a lot you can do with it. It's not perfect. There's you know issues that I've run into and we can start to dive into those throughout this conversation. Um, but for me it was 
it was a really fun thing to learn and it was really uh, interesting to, to dive into. And there's, you know, <clears throat> there's not just two dimensional game gaming capabilities. There's also physics engines uh, or a physics, en physics engine built in. Um, there is the box 2d physics engine and um, that provides a lot of power as well. So, you know, just, the, the more I started looking into it, the more it seemed promising and uh, decided to give it a shot. What platforms are you all targeting yourself using Coco Sharp? You mentioned there is a number of them that you could target. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, I have uh, the game that I developed is available on the Android platform in the Google Play Store and on iOS in the App Store. And the main reason for that is, you know, this is all developed on my own hardware, my own um, machine. Um, by day, you know, I work in the, the Microsoft space. And so I have, you know, Windows and I have Visual Studio and everything. But on my own machine, I have a Mac Mini and I use basically all the free tools. I use um, Xamarin Studio for free. And I, if I wanted to get into Windows, which um, Coco Sharp definitely supports, I'd have to purchase, you know, kind of a, a license for Visual Studio. Uh, I'm sorry, a license for um, Windows and then Visual Studio, I would use the Community Edition. But being on the Mac, I'd probably want to purchase a license for Parallels as well. And really, if I do that, I kind of want to have the game pay for it. You know what I mean? And um, I wanted to start in kind of the area that would get me the most bang for the buck. And that that is uh, Android and iOS. And uh, historically, from what I've seen, Android tends to get more installations, but iOS tends to make more money. So it's uh, that's kind of why I targeted those two those two platforms. And with uh, Windows, from what I saw online, and this is with you know no experience to back up, uh, from what I saw online, it's it's tougher to get ad revenue on Windows than it is on the other two platforms. So it may, if I do target Windows and Windows Phone and, you know, the UWP platform, it may be more for my own personal enjoyment than for any sort of uh, financial support. That makes sense. And, and it's interesting to hear that you have, uh, that your your main Mac development machine is, is a Mac mini. Like, it, it have, do you run into any kind of performance issues or, or struggles with that? Like, I know that those machines are kind of chronically underpowered um, and have because they haven't been updated for many years. Yep. And that is absolutely true. I do run into problems with it. And um, I guess the main reason why I, I got into the Mac mini is because I, I, I needed a, a machine of my own. And I was trying to look for kind of the cheapest option that would let me do iOS development you know, using Xamarin, I wasn't, I, I had no, no, uh, ideas of trying to, to learn, learn Swift or Objective-C. You know, I knew I was going to do Xamarin when I, once I purchased this thing. Um, but I don't know anything about the Macs and, or I didn't at the time. And all I knew was what it cost to get into a Mac mini versus a MacBook pro. And, you know, the MacBook pro was looking closer to $2,000. The Mac mini, the one I, the one I picked up was about a thousand and, you know, it, it was worth giving it a shot to me. And, you know, I, I kind of looked at it as there's, there may be some bumps in the road. There may be some performance issues that I'll encounter. And it, it does occasionally become, you know, annoying, but it still functions pretty well in general. 
Right. Yeah. Like I know we have, like we use at work Mac minis just for, for, uh, Mac build agents. And for, for mm -hmm. most things that that's kind of fine, but I run into enough issues even with build times and stuff that, mm -hmm. you know, you just know that doing any real development on it would be a struggle at times just cause they haven't really, they haven't really revved it in, in a few years at this point. Right. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear. Um, so going back a little bit to what you were saying before, you were mentioning sort of the, the box 2D system that's in there. So is this just for, um, and that comes with the caveat of we should probably spend a little t time soon defining some of these terms and, and sort of the development model here. But um, does that mean that this is purely for 2D development or can you do 3D games as well using Coco Sharp? I believe it's only 2D from from what I saw. And it... I, I didn't try to get into the, the space of 3D at all. I think it's just uh, a 2D. Now you can do, um, you know, some kind of three-dimensional uh, shapes and you can move cameras around and you can zoom in, um, like move cameras forward and backwards and, you know, skew things and that sort of thing. So I think that it does have the potential to do uh, 3D, you know, development, but I think it's really targeted for two-dimensional and especially considering that Cocos... 2D, you know, the actual game engine that it's built on um, is a two-dimensional game engine. I think it th that there's maybe some ability to do 3D, but it's really not built for it. And it's definitely not to the level of something like Unity would be for three-dimensional, you know, games. So can you walk us a through what the programming model is like? Like, what, how would you structure a typical Coco Sharp game? So um, there, with... With Cocoa Sharp, there uh, there are some tools that you can install with Visual Studio or with Xamarin Studio, and you can get like kind of the the project templates and the solution templates. And what they'll get you out of the box is a kind of a three-platform project, or th I guess a three two-platform project and one shared project um, solution. And so there's going to be the kind of the shared code, which is either a PCL or a shared library, depending on what you choose. And then there's the iOS project and then the Android project. And if you want, you can also include the the Windows project. And I think even out of the box, it, it was so long ago um, since I created the, the solution that I was working in that um, I don't remember if I had to um, remove the Windows one or if it just wasn't there to begin with. But um, right out of the box it gives you kind of the foundation code for wiring it up and you know the the game view that comes along with it that kind of drives everything and then the common code that you're going to you know the code that you're going to share between the projects goes in the the shared project and then anything that's specific whether it's for specifically for activities in Android or the view controllers in iOS they need to go into you know each of the platform specific projects as well as any sort of resources. If you're going to use images or sounds or fonts, those need to be included twice, essentially. They need to be included in the Android project and then in the iOS project because they compile into the, um, the final output a little bit differently. So you mentioned that you have to like duplicate resources and stuff. Um, does Coco Sharp do much to help you abstract away the other platforms in other ways? Like, you know, do I write my my code essentially once in most cases, and I I get to run my game on each platform? Yeah. So Coco Sharp, the the actual engine is cross platform, and you once you're in there working in the Coco Sharp environment, you don't really have to worry about whether you're an Android or iOS. It's just once you start getting into things like um, my game does a little bit with, um, what is it, SQLite. 
Um, and so SQLite is not innately built into Cocoa Sharp and it's platform specific. And so I had to kind of put in some abstractions. So, you know, Cocoa Sharp was, didn't have to be aware of SQLite, but then my Android and my iOS proje projects were aware, you know, I had the implementations specifically in there. Um, but, you know, as far as the, the engine itself, it, it kind of ha handles positioning and um, handles sizing and, um, you know, like uh, what you see and movements and everything is all, it stays within Cocoa Sharp itself. You don't even have to define, uh, like, you don't have to worry about different uh, dimension um, devices either, which is pretty cool. So if, if I've got like a tablet and a phone sitting next to each other, it will scale itself appropriately on the tablet and then, you know, down smaller onto the phone and it'll essentially look the same. And now it may have like letterboxing, you know, uh, above and below it or um, to the side of it, depending on how you sized it, you know, initially, because you kind of set up and say, this is how big the project should be and this is how big it should show. And then from there, Cocoa Sharp just does all the scaling so that you, you don't have to worry about it. It just makes it fit, basically. And so you just let it go. Is there any ability to sort of take advantage of larger or smaller screen sizes in different ways if, if, if your game actually wanted to do that? Like, let's say that, you know, you, you wanted to take advantage of having a giant screen on a tablet and present things a little bit differently. Does, does Cocoa Sharp offer anything like that? Or is it really just a one experience kind of scaled up and down? From what I understand and what I saw, it's kind of a one experience scaled up and down. Um, there, there may be the ability to kind of step outside of this the Cocoa Sharp, uh, Cocoa Sharp realm a little bit and um, maybe lean on some things, whether it be on the Android side or iOS to, you know, have multiple, uh, multiple things available to you. But the game view itself that Cocoa Sharp uses is it, you get one of them basically. And the, the engine doesn't care what bit or what size device you're on. Um, it just, it handles all the scaling for you and um, lets you just, kind of go it lets you just program and position and you know place things where you want and move them around and if you want something in the bottom right corner it's going to be in the bottom right corner no matter how big the device is and not the top left corner right <laughs> <laughs> not having to use different grid systems and orientation systems is nice <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so you mentioned in passing the the game view, which which as I understand it is one of like basically the the top level component that you're going to start um, using to to get into Coco Sharp and and get that into your particular app. Um, but I think it would be good to sort of dive through what the what the different building blocks look like once you go beyond that. Like, what are some of the different classes that you'd be using to to put you know scenes on the the game view or um, sprites or anything like that? Like, what does Coco Sharp have there? Yeah, so everything is built on what's called a node, or the class name is called CC node, and and you'll find that most of the classes that are native to uh, Cocoa Sharp start with CC, and so the CC node is kind of the base class for everything, everything that you see. Um, from there, you in uh, in it provides a, a a ton of functionality, whether it be you know bounding boxes or positioning or you know scaling and rotation. Basically, the stuff that you would expect your visual elements to have, that's that's what the node is going to have. And you can instantiate a node and just start to fill it with things. It has the, the concept of children. And so you can create a node and add children to it. And if you move that node around, the all the children move with it. 
and their position is kind of relative to that node itself. And then the node, you know, the positioning of the node um, kind of moves everything within it as a group. And, um, you know, then from there, there's some implementations for like the, the scene. Um, and the scene is kind of the, um, the, you see one scene at a time and it kind of handles the transitions from one scene to the next. Technically, you can have multiple scenes, you know, with Cocoa Sharp, but it, if you only have one scene shown, it's really pointless to run multiple scenes and have the, have a second hidden scene, you know, take up memory. And so you're going to really only one run one scene at a time. And then um, from there, you've got things like the um, the layer, the the CC layer. And the layer is essentially kind of a, a non-visual element. But if you think of it in terms of like either Photoshop or, you know, like a transparency layer. It's just, it gives you a, the ability to put things on a layer and move the, that entire layer around or hide it or, you know, whatever. And so there's always kind of the foundation layer, you know, your first layer of the scene. And from there, you start to fill that layer up. And the, since the layer is an implementation of Node, you still get th the concept of children, you still get the concept of positioning. All that stuff is kind of built in, and, and you get it out of the box. And then from there, there's things like um, the CC Draw node. You know, I can draw rectangles, and I can draw triangles, and I can draw things like that. Um, anything that you want, you can draw... You know, and, and the draw node doesn't have to be drawing just one thing. Like I, in my game, I have a menu that has kind of just a rounded cornered, you know, rectangle background. And so that's a CC draw node where I have like the rectangle as the main part and then kind of um, quarter turned circles in the corners to kind of round it out. And so it's, you know, several draw commands that make up one thing. Um, from there, you can do things like the, um, there's the CC sprite which is kind of the um, the iconic thing that people think about when they see game like the classic games, you know, like Mario Brothers and things like that. You can create a sprite and you can have it use images that are included in your project and you can have it use um, a series of images if you want. You can have it animate and you can have it, um, whether it be animate one frame at a time or whether it you know, is animated kind of indefinitely um, through a looping mechanism. There's a number of things that you can do there. And then, let's see, then there's also the CC label, which is if you want to have uh, like text display, um, you can display text with the label and the, you can use um, built-in fonts, you can use uh, custom fonts that you include, you know, true type fonts that you include in your project. Uh, you can do all that with the label, change color, sizing, all that sort of thing. And then um, from there, if you want to do anything custom, you can, you can, implement your own class. You can in either either inherit from CC node or you can inherit from one of the others that I've mentioned and you can do your own thing. And kind of if you want to if you want to have a a class or a, a an element that is made up of several different things, that's probably what you want to do is implement your own version of the CC node and include those several different things there so that, you know, you're not within your layer kind of manipulating a ton of things, you're kind of encapsulating everything, you know, so that uh, things that are supposed to be stuck together are, you know, in a class together. Right. So it's, it sounds like you really start to form the, this big object hierarchy of, of the different things that go into your, your scene and then your game view then. Um, and it also sounds like you're, are you defining all of this stuff in code basically? Like is your entire Coco Sharp game or scene 
effectively defined in code or is there any sort of markup or designer uh, available no it's all in code um there there are some things that you can do you can to, to use external things, whether it be through the sprite and have images, or whether it be um, like my game uses a um, kind of a mapping mechanism through a, a game called, or I'm sorry, in, through an application called Tiled. And Tiled lets you kind of define, you know, ortho, orthogonal maps or, you know, kind of two dimensional maps. And um, it's basically just a grid of, um, of uh, cells, I guess. And there's a number of different ways you can use it. And the way I use it is it, I define metadata for laying out different mazes. Uh, my game is called uh, Mirror Maze. And so it's you're playing through a number of mazes. And I, all the mazes are defined with this external tool. And so that is something that I can import into my game and let my gaming engine kind of handle it. And um, you through the um, kind of the the metadata scheme that I came up with, I can use that. But as far as internally to Coco Sharp itself, everything that you do is basically code. There's no designer. Um, there's no markup to go along with it. You you create everything in code and you position everything in code. And then, you know, there's the concept of um, kind of um, scheduling things so that it, it's essentially creating a game in, or a game loop. And so every every time through the game loop, you reposition things and you do your calculations, and you know update the the positioning of everything. And um, that that game loop will essentially um, it it runs for uh, I think it runs about every once every sixty second or I'm sorry uh, it runs sixty times for every second, and um, ideally it's so or you know it could slow down to like 30 times every second or depending on how how heavy a processing you have it just may start to slow down um but that that game engine is it runs very very fast and it happens very often and so there's not a lot of room for kind of fluffy stuff um and so you want to try to keep it as close to the metal as possible and and code is the best way to do that this episode is brought to you by raygun Raygun offers leading error and crash reporting to over 30,000 developers around the globe and now offers real user monitoring for both web and mobile apps. Raygun's native mobile support brings deep analytics about how users are engaging with your mobile apps. Raygun platform customers can discover problems affecting their end users automatically, giving developer teams unique insights into the performance of their apps. Raygun offers a free 30-day trial, so get started at raygun.com today and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. Right. So, so I realized, well, for one, I realized that we hadn't actually mentioned the, the game that you were building. So I'm glad that, that you interjected that in there. Um, and I think it might be, at least for, you know, for myself, it might be an interesting thought exercise to t say, like using your game as an example, like, like, or one particular, say, level within that game, like, what does it look like in terms of the, a scene and layers and sprites? Like, how did you end up kind of forming the, the cohesive game using those pieces yeah absolutely um so yeah again my game it's called mirror maze and um it the general idea is that there are these mazes that you try to mo move through and um there is a ball in the maze and a goal in the maze and there's a ball on the lower half of the screen that you actually try to move and so the movements that you do are actually mirrored horizontally 
um, from what you do versus what you see up on top. And so you, you kind of have to change your um, th way of thinking and your, your motor skills a little bit to maneuver through, <clears throat> through the mazes. Uh, a typical maze is I lay the maze out itself in a game called, or in, in an application called Tiled. And that's a free and open source tool that you can download, at least on the Mac. And I think it's available on Windows as well. Um, where you, you basically can lay out maps and you can do, you know, two dimensional games and positions of things. And what I do is I, I use it to define where my walls are and the map itself that I create in tiled is you don't even see it in the game. It's all driven by metadata. So I have meta, I have a metadata layer in my tiled map that says whether it's the wall, whether it's the starting point of the, um, the object, or as I call it in my code, the thing, um, or wh whether it's the goal, you know, the, the, the finishing point. And my game engine will load that in and take that, that metadata information and create its own layer. In a, and I call that the map layer. And it will create its own map layer and render whether it's a, um, the wall or whether it's just a regular space. And if it's the wall, then it positions um, you know, rectangles and, you know, fills in the walls basically so you can see the walls and it positions the goal, you know, the finishing line and, um, it positions the, the thing, you know, where it starts and then it positions, um, the, the, I guess what I call the duplicate or the, the, um, the thing that the player actually touches, um, down below. And it does all of this stuff, you know, based on the metadata information that comes in from the, the map from the tiled map and then um, on that is all laid onto the game layer itself so the game layer is kind of the foundation of it all and most of the the code that drives the game itself the game um, the game loop is all in the game layer and then the map layer is laid on top of that and the map layer itself um, is for the first grouping of, of uh, mazes there's um, mazes that don't move and so you see everything you know when you first start it up and then as you get to more advanced levels the the mazes themselves get bigger than what you can see and so you can start to move the the map around and so it uses something called a camera to move the camera around and the the map layer itself is bigger than what you can see but the camera position you know moves around to change what you can see um, and um, so that the map layer itself it gets laid on top of the game layer and then on top of like um, physically on top of the um, the map layer and the game layer is the HUD or the heads up display. And so that's where it's going to say things like your how many hits, how many times have you hit the wall, um, how many seconds have you been trying to get through the maze, you know, what level are you on and basically, you know, information that kind of pertains to that level. And so I've got the HUD layer at, that sits on top of that and that's positioned at the top of the screen. The map is positioned um, below that, and then kind of the touch area that the user can actually interact with is positioned down below. And all of these things are kind of layered together on top of the game layer. And then from there, there's even further layering things like um, within the the HUD layer that I've got like labels and um, icons that go along with it. And so I've, I've got you know, nodes that I've created, uh, custom nodes that I've created that kind of group those together and um, further things like that. And then the um, what the, the player interacts with or the thing, as, as I call it, 
um, that thing is its own custom node as well. And, you know, so I've got some logic that goes along with that. And um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's basically just a, a number of pieces kind of put together that all told will kind of work in harmony and give you the game. And what you see is, you know, kind of a compilation of all the things that are put together. So you mentioned that the game loop runs, you know, many times a second. <clears throat> How do you actually go about debugging something like this? Like what, what does your workflow look like? So that is uh, sometimes a very touchy subject <laughs> because <laughs> um, something that happens that fast, some, a lot of times you'll find that bugs that show up don't happen until it's that you've gotten through the game quite a ways or you know like maybe i need to move to this particular part of the maze and suddenly i can jump through the wall you know and um and i don't want it to jump through the wall but i have to get to that point so you can't just put a breakpoint in the game loop because you're going to hit it like ninety thousand times before you get to where you actually need to be in the game so <clears throat> um debugging becomes kind of very very touchy um sometimes it's as simple as you know not 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 turning on a breakpoint until you get far enough into what you're doing and then you turn on a breakpoint and then do whatever movement you're trying to trying to reproduce and sometimes it's a matter of putting like debug variables in you know custom stuff that you only know that you're going to hit when you're um hitting a certain edge case you know maybe you're um your X value is is always supposed to be positive, and sometimes it's going negative. So you put in a little uh, if clause to say, all right, if if my X is negative, then you know, then I put in you know some variable. I always use blah, you know, like var blah equals zero, and I put a breakpoint on that. And as soon as I hit that breakpoint, I know that my X value is negative. Now, what's interesting is sometimes that happens, and you're still sitting there looking at it, going like, okay. My X is negative. Now what? <laughs> you know how how did it get there? Why did it happen? And and it's really the code that leads up to that that you really wanted to see. And you've seen you now have seen like okay now I know that it's negative, but I I don't know what to do about that. And then it it just becomes more problematic because you kind of have to learn how to backtrack a little bit. And how do you how do you capture that maybe something is starting to go south and it um, and you don't want it to but yet you, you're only able to find, you know, find a breakpoint in the code once it actually has gone south on you. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, very much an exercise in debugging. How do you debug and how do you, um, get the information that you want to get and, and how do you, how do you, um, kind of capture it with enough knowledge around it to be able to do something about it? Right. Yeah. The, the feedback loop side of, of game development is always something that like clashes with my brain that's used to, you know, the quote unquote normal way of doing development or, you know, enterprise or whatever you want to call it, where you can you can isolate things and you can write unit tests that target that don't require going through, you know, 18 minutes of gameplay before you can reproduce some scenario. But then exactly. when you get into things like games, you you throw all that out the window because for one, you don't want abstractions because they don't perform nearly as well. And for two, it just doesn't fit like that game loop type model. So I'm always I'm always curious to hear what people are doing around being able to inject some sort of feedback loop or some way of shortcutting to the scenario that you want to get to or anything like that. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like I said, it's kind of a touchy subject because there were some times I was very easy to debug what I was doing. And there were some times where uh, I just had absolutely no idea how to debug it. And there's still at least one bug that I am aware that sometimes happens within my game because my kids showed me it. 
you know, that it happened <laughs> to them, but I, I've never been able to reproduce it myself <laughs> and I've never, I've never been able to come up with a way to figure out how to capture it in code. I don't even know once it does happen, I don't even know how to capture it in code because it's such an odd thing. And, um, it, it basically there's, as the, as my kids move through the maze, sometimes they'll like end up on the wrong side of a wall. It'll just let them go through the wall. And I, I just, you know, have no idea to, how to isolate that, you know, because I've, there's so many things that are going on to keep the ball from going through the wall that, I don't really know how to isolate that suddenly it's starting to go through the wall and suddenly it's on the other side. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty interesting to try to figure all that out. <laughs> right. Well, at least you've got a, an in-house QA team there for you. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, that's what, one thing that's actually really fun about this game development is, um, I started this and I, I first made a proof of concept using Coco Sharp. And I, I'd, I'd initially started going down the path of a different game idea when, when I came up with the idea for Mirror Maze. Um, it was actually, I was debugging something for this first game idea that was much more complex. And while I was debugging it, I came up with the idea for Mirror Maze and I I put it together very quickly. Um, just took a, an image of a maze and I slapped it on the screen and then I kind of mirrored the movements of a ball and then I brought it upstairs and I showed my wife and I showed my kids and once I showed it to them they started to realize like oh this is fun you know and I had to tell them like you can you can go wherever you want but try to get through the maze without touching the wall and um, that's when I started to realize that maybe I had a decent idea on my hands and actually once I even got into the development using that game or that uh, I keep calling it a game um, using that application called Tiled it's really easy to lay out maps. And so my kids were able to design some of my early mazes for me. And that was a fun way for them to kind of be involved. And they would design the mazes. And, you know, frankly, I had to change them once, once I started getting serious about it. But in the, in the early builds that I was doing, I was able to have them design mazes. And then I could um, deploy it to my Android or my iPhone and let them play around with it. And they, they thought it was the coolest thing ever that they were playing in their own maze that they just created like 20 minutes before. And so, um, you know, that being a, a father of four game development is kind of an easier way for me to relate to my kids, what it is that I do, because they don't really know what, a you know, what, uh, what I do that drives a website or they don't know, you know, a desktop application or a UWP application. They don't, they don't know any of that stuff, but they know games, <laughs> you know? And so it's just a fun way to kind of cross the barrier. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, and out of curiosity, like while I'm thinking of it, have you tried mixing, uh, mixing Coco Sharp with Xamarin workbooks at all? Like I could imagine that might be a decent way to, if you had some discrete piece of code that you wanted to tinker with or get visually right outside of the context of, of a of a full full on game. Yeah, that I have not. I've I've only ever played with it kind of as it stands. I've never worked with it in uh, workbooks. Um kind of expanding on from there, like we've we've talked about uh you know, using Coco Sharp obviously as like a a full immersive game. It's the entire app that you're building, but I'm curious can you use Coco Sharp embedded within an uh you know a normal xamarin app like if you wanted to embed like a small side game or or maybe even something that that's not a game you know i see no reason why you couldn't do that because um, really all it is is coco sharp is a um it's it's all within one control i guess if you will and that's the game view the game view kind of drives everything and it the the engine itself doesn't care 
anything about what's going on outside the game view. So if you really wanted to, I don't see any reason why you couldn't position, you know, a game view in a larger application. Um, you know, it, there's probably some complications that would come along with doing such a thing. Um, you know, things like touch interactions and that sort of thing. But um, if you wanted to, I don't see why you couldn't. So is the game view like on iOS, just a UI view and on Android, just a view? Like, is that how it's set up? Yeah, essentially. Um, the the game view, um, let's see, I can, I can bring it up here while we're talking and take a look at it um, in my code. But yeah, the game view is just a control that gets placed in on Android. It gets placed in your activity, you know, and, and it gets placed in your XML initially, especially if you use the templates. And then on iOS, it just gets placed into your view controller. And so, um, you know, it's just kind of something that there's um, platform specific implementations for it that um, you can use to, to place it in the Android projects, the iOS projects, the UWP projects and that sort of thing. Um, but then the, the game view, you know, within the, the, the shared code is, you know, common functionality that you can lean on. And so you mentioned that there are some templates available. Like how, how would I get started uh, if I was, you know, doing a new project today with adding Coco Sharp to my app? Yeah, so the Coco Sharp, either you could just use it as a NuGet package and um, add the, the NuGet package reference, but then you'd kind of be responsible for creating the projects and wiring things up and do, creating the game view and, you know, setting up the game view initially. Um, or you could go and um, there's, let's see, there's uh, templates that you can install. And I think um, it's been a while since I've done this. You can search for it in Visual Studio. You can search for it in the... Um, the uh, the add-in I think it's the add-in manager, um, but yeah, it's basically you you can add add in you know a template for Coco Sharp and it will give you that as an option and from there there's a number of different options whether it's going to be you know um, uh, a PCL you know based game or whether it's going to be a shared project based game um, some, kind of some base functionality and it will automatically create you like I said the Android the iOS and I think the Windows um, three, it creates you the three platform proje projects and then your shared project that is going to be used by all of them. It's easy enough. And so earlier we talked about the performance of your development machine, but, but even more important, I guess, would be to talk about any performance problems or gotchas that you might have encountered on, on actual devices. Like how has Coco Sharp performed in your experience on, on real devices? You know, in general, I've seen that it performs reasonably well. It's not um, like the fastest thing ever. And part of that has to do with how you code it. Um, I, I made some decisions early on um, in my uh, wall collision detection that, that uh, when I first, I, I've gone through like three different versions of how I would keep the ball from going through the wall, you know, and the, one of the first versions just slowed it down so, so badly that it was not even functional, you know, like it was just doing way, way too much processing for every single time through the loop. And that, that I learned that the hard way that, you know, you've got to keep it lean and mean and try to keep everything lightweight. And so I had to go through and completely refactor and, and then I made it, you know, slightly better, but then it, it also wasn't, just wasn't working as much. And then finally I came up with a, the solution that I did and now it seems to work pretty well. Um, but you know, it definitely does have some performance issues every now and then, um, even within the game that I have released in the store. If you have a lower powered device, which you know most likely is going to be an Android device, because uh, iPhones tend to be um, a little bit better powered, at least the the newer ones. Um, but you know, I've got my development Android device is 
what is it, four or five years old, I've got the, the Galaxy Nexus. And um, for modern day, you know, devices, it's, it's fairly underpowered. And so I kind of saw that as I went through there, um, and started playing the game that as a new layer would pop up or some sort of fading animation would take place, there would be some choppiness, you know, in some cases, or maybe as um, a sound effect started to play and then some intensive processing started happening, you know, I've got some um, fireworks that go off in the game. And that's something that's just built into Coco Sharp. I just started using them, um, the fireworks. And um, as the fireworks start to shoot off, the, the sound sometimes gets choppy, you know, as soon as one of the, the fireworks starts to hit. And so there, there are some performance implications that you have to think about. And um, like I said, it, some of it has to do with how you code it and make sure that you've got it not processing a ton of stuff and trying to keep it lean and mean. And some of it is just, you know, trying to work within limitations of lower power devices and um, that sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's kind of a mix. Uh, are there any other gotchas that you've come across when you were making your apps um, that we can help our listeners avoid? You know, there there's one that I'm I'm still not sure what the or there's two I guess that I'm I'm not sure what the the cause is. And if I spend some time digging into the code, you know, the the Coco Sharp code because it is open source, I could probably figure it out. But um, the I guess the first one I'll say is sound effects. So if you play sound effects enough times eventually you run out of memory um, for sound effects and it's it's not that the game itself will die but the game will stop playing any sounds from that point forward and you have to completely kill the game and start over and it, it took me a long time to figure that out because that you have to play a lot at least on my game you have to play a lot of sound effects before it happens so i at one point i had it um, doing sound effects and animations when you when the ball would be touching the wall, you know, because there's uh, several different modes. There's casual mode where you just get from point A to point B and don't worry about hitting the wall. And then there's, you know, like precision mode and timed mode where you start to pay attention to hitting the wall. And so I wanted to kind of signal the user that number in the top left corner that tells how many times I'm hitting, this is where it's coming from. And so I'd have an animation on the ball that would show, you know, that it's hitting the wall and then I'd have a sound effect that'd go along with it. And I had to leave it sitting, touching the wall, going, you know, having that sound effect go off, uh, you know, every uh, half a second or so for like five minutes or six minutes where I was listening to this, you know, this hit sound before finally it just stopped playing all sounds. And and I finally was able to figure out that, you know, if you play it and and I even had a number in, you know, that I I figured out how many times it played before it died. And it was like 4,000 times it played before it died. And um, I started doing some research and found out that that's actually a bug that is somewhere deep down in the guts of Mono, the Mono game framework. Um, it's not even Coco Sharp. They're leaning on Mono, the Mono game framework, to um, do all the the sound effects, at least for the the sound effect sound effect engine that's built in to Coco Sharp. You can do your own if you want, but I I'm leaning on you know what's built in, and that particular bug is something that is known. And I kind of had to just work around it and say, all right, I guess I'm not going to play a sound effect every time I hit the wall because then, you know, that will eventually add up to too many sounds and I'm going to run out of memory. So um, taking that away, my game plays a lot fewer sounds and to the point where I just I don't consider it a concern anymore. Um, The other issue that I found is another memory consumption consumption issue. And as my text labels, you know, in the in the HUD for seconds and the number of times you hit the wall as those change i slowly leak memory and i 
I haven't, I, I narrowed it down to just the mere fact of the text changing. So as, as I go from like one hit to two hits to three hits, it would, you know, a couple of bytes of memory would leak slowly. And eventually I would run out of memory if I had enough of that, those things happening. And particularly on devices that have you know, less memory available to them, the game itself will crash if you, um, if you play it long enough. And, and I have no idea how to, to fix that at this point. Um, again, it's probably something that given enough time, I could go in and figure out what's going on within the Coco Sharp code and submit a pull request. Um, but then that kind of goes back to the fact that this is a, a me operation and there's only so much of me <laughs> to go around. And, um, so it's, it, that's, that's kind of the perils of doing a side project like, um, mirror maze for me is I I've got to be the guy that does the graphics. I've got to be the guy that does the development, the testing, you know, the, the promotion, the blog posts that go along with everything. And that I kind of can only focus on so much at one time. And so, um, eventually I'll come around to trying to solve that and I'm um, trying to figure that out, but it's for now, it's just kind of a known issue for me that if I change the text in a label enough times, eventually I'll run out of memory in my game. It's all about picking your battles, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, I mean, at the beginning of the show, we, we were talking about how you, you kind of come from your own history of tinkering with games, game development and, and different, um, you know, different platforms or different frameworks and what have you. Um, would you say that Coco Sharp is, is good for someone who might be brand new to game programming, or is there there anything that they should sort of know ahead of walking into wanting to experiment with the framework? I would consider it to be a good place to start. Um, there, there's enough documentation out there in it that um, you can lean on to start to learn what's going on. Now, if you if you are brand new to coding and have never coded anything. Um, I would say Coco Sharp is not the place to start. This would be for people who are familiar with C Sharp, are familiar with the development environment, um, are familiar with Xamarin, because you do have to understand what's going on with Xamarin in order to get the the, the game to deploy, even even locally on your test um, test uh, emulator and simulator. Um, there's there's enough going on that you have to just understand kind of the the underbelly of w what's going on. Um, that it's not something that out of the box, if, if you've never touched, if you've never touched development before, Coco Sharp is not the place to go. But, you know, if you are doing mobile development and you are doing particularly development with C Sharp and you're familiar with either Xamarin Studio or Visual Studio, I would say Coco Sharp is a good place to start because it, especially if you start the templates, you can just um, get a game going with a black screen and start to place things on that screen and then start to move them. You know, you can you can add gravity fairly easily by just you know mo positioning it for every time through the loop. You know, have it move a certain space, a certain distance based on the time. You know, and eventually you've got kind of a a ball that will start slowly falling, and at, with every frame it falls faster and faster, and you've got gravity. Um, and then you can start to figure out, okay, eventually it disappears, and I've got to figure out how to put a floor in there, and how do I know when it hits the floor? And so you can start to figure things like that out. Um, or you could just do, you know, movements like my game is, has no gravity in it. It's just based on movements and you can start to figure out, all right, how do I interact with touch? And if I touch here, you know, can I just show something, you know, like in, in, uh, in my game, every, all the movements are mirrored. So if I touch down below, can I have that be mirrored up above, you know, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's really easy to kind of get started and, 
you know, move through. And once you understand the basics of, you know, what's a scene and what's a layer and what's a node and, you know, what is a, a, a sprite and that sort of thing, which there's enough documentation out there, um, and including the blog post series that I'm doing is kind of my own flavor of that. Um, there's enough documentation out there that you can start to run with it and you can start to build on it. And that's exactly what I did. Um, it's not that I knew anything about, you know, the Cocos engine. Um, I, I'd never worked with it before. It just, I started very simply and then I started making it more complex and then I started adding, you know, movements. And I, um, I made a, I started going down the path of a game that was way more complex and realized that, um, that was probably not the best place to start. And, um, I went to something a little bit more simple and, um, eventually ended up with mirror maze and, you know, doing, doing all this, all of this, uh, development, I did it on my own time in, you know, in the evenings, you know, after the kids would go to bed and, um, it was something that I was able to fit in it. I mean, granted, this is over many months, but it was something I was able to fit in on my own time, um, because it wasn't, you know, terribly difficult to learn the framework and it wasn't terribly difficult to learn, you know, how to, how to do what I wanted to do and, you know, make things, uh, move around and position and, you know, sound effects and things like that. That's awesome. So yeah, we'll definitely include a link to uh, to your ongoing blog series in, in the show notes, as, as well as a link to Mirror Maze so everyone could go check it out. Um, is there anything that, that we missed or any any parting words of wisdom for our listeners before we uh, before we call it? Um, no, I would just say if you are interested in doing some sort of game development, give it a try. You know, it's it's fun to do. It's uh, so, like I said, if you've got children, it's kind of an easy way to show them what it is that you do. You know, and in particular, if you want to start them off and show them how your your code can change what they see, that's a you know, game engines are a good way to go. And um, Coco Sharp is uh, kind of a, an easy place to start for that. Awesome. Well, thanks for for taking the time out of your day to chat, Brent. Yeah, thank you guys very much. This was fun. Absolutely. And thanks as always for everyone for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile. Gone Mobile.